episode 204 of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Thrilled you here today. Me talking about the effects of technology on our culture today. So I'm thrilled you're here. Just me today. Although I've had some fantastic guests over the last, I guess, three or four weeks of fantastic conversation with musician Michelle Featherstone, Julie Moon, and then Ash Luzado. Definitely, I suggest going back there and heading into the archives of the downward facing spiritual spiral because I think there's some great talks. And I think technology is dramatically impacting the world. It's much more pernicious. It's much more subtle than, you know, the violence from a gun or a bomb. It seems almost invisible, but I see it. And and I don't have a superpower here. Uh, But part of the reason that I love the podcast is I really enjoy listening to people. I'm, I'm I'm curious about other people's experience. I'm curious about what people think about the world. And I'm curious what people think about technology. I've been very curious about what people think about what's going on the last couple of years thanks to the pandemic. But something that I've really picked up on is how people, a lot of people don't know how to listen. And I don't know if that's something that has always been the case or technology is just... Um, exacerbated this this problem, quote-unquote problem or issue in our culture. I'm ha- it's interesting because I had such a great conversation with Michelle last week. And then on the phone, I had a fantastic conversation with a friend of mine, Adam Gust, who's actually been on the show. And I can really tell when when somebody's listening. It's, it's indescribable, really, but I just, I can tell, in, you know, Adam and I were on the phone, so he's not looking at me, but I can tell that he's not distracted. Can you tell when people are listening to you? Because I'm on a Zoom call with a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and I haven't seen him or spoken to him in quite some time. And, you know, the first 15 minutes or so, I'm asking him about him and, and his job and, and, and the different things that have happened in his life over the last eight months. And this goes on for about 15, 15 minutes, and I'm, I'm genuinely very curious about his life. And we're on Zoom, and I'm, I'm looking at him in the eye, and, and I'm not distracted. I'm not, you know, typing email or anything. And so then the conversation turns to me, and there's the question, you know, how are you, Eddie? You know, what's, what's going on? Tell me about your book. And literally within five seconds of when I start talking about myself, I see his eyes move, his face lightens up, clearly a laptop that was turned off suddenly turns on, and then his eyes are no longer looking at me, but they're looking at another screen. And this wasn't like a five-second switch. This was ongoing. And we're about a, I'm, I'm about a minute into talking about myself, but that entire minute I'm thinking, how disrespectful. Clearly, he's not showing the interest or curiosity in, in to, in, into really knowing how my book is going or how my life is going. So I basically immediately shut down. Within two minutes, I stopped talking about myself. Now, you know, I could have said something, but I was, 
I didn't want to make it awkward, of course. So, you know, I turned the conversation back to him and I started asking more questions about him and his life. And and this goes on for another 15, 20 minutes. And of course, I'm interested in, in knowing about his life, but how do you think it makes me feel when I can see somebody isn't listening? Somebody, their eyes switch to a laptop. The, the light turns on where he, whatever is turned off is then turned on and then he's checking email or checking whatever. And then a friend of mine says something like, you know, he may be so wired into having these Zoom calls, you know, during work. And so a lot of people may, you know, check emails or do work while they're on these sort of laborious, uh, boring Zoom calls for work. But we need to have the awareness to know that, oh, this isn't another work Zoom call. We need to have the awareness to know that just because you're done finished talking about yourself, that you need to sustain that energy and stay engaged and interested in the person who is talking. How often does that happen to you when you start talking and then you shut down because you can tell that they're not paying attention to you? So just an exercise this week or next week or for the rest of your life, doing things that keep your curiosity up. It's this strange shift that's happened in our culture where all these devices, the social media, the technology, the convenience, it's making everybody think only about themselves and they're not thinking about anybody else. They, they have lost touch. They've lost the ability to listen. And, and I don't think I'm a pretty boring person. I think I have a lot of things going on in my life that are interesting. But to see this person just immediately within 60 seconds check email, their eyeballs aren't looking at me, they're distracted, they're doing something else. How would you be? Would you just, would you just keep talking and not care that they're not listening? Or would you be like me and just shut down? And, and I, I did ultimately feel a little insecure. And I also was a little angry. It's sort of like, how much of myself should I give to somebody who isn't even paying attention? And I want to play a clip where Russell Brand is talking about, or rather Russell Brand, Russell Brand is speaking with Ben Shapiro. And it's interesting. I found myself curious about Ben a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, because I saw in the podcast world that his podcast is regularly like a top five, top 10 podcast. And he's in the conservative world. And I tried listening to, to him for about a week, and I can't do it. It's, it's interesting. I do think to myself, if you listen to somebody like Ben every day, where he criticizes the world nonstop over and over again, is that really good for you to listen to? Is, I mean, it's weird. I know that we should be educated. I know that we should be aware of the world around us. And I know, obviously, what's going on with Ukraine and Russia right now. It's, it's good to be informed. But there's this sort of vitriolic, negative, very despondent tone that he has over and over again 
I don't know, after a while, I think it's so acerbic to listen to every day and so odious to listen to um, that I wonder how listening to him every day affects our culture, much like, you know, watching violent TV shows or being on social media every day. How is that affecting our culture? Does it take somebody like Ben where, you know, is he popular because he is so negative or is it because the media is primarily pretty liberal that, I guess, of all the conservative spokespeople in the world, um, I'm just surprised that, that, that he's at the top. Now, while I say that, I think it's also good to have somebody that has good moral values. And I think a lot about how social media is affecting the values in our culture, how it's creating a world where people think only about themselves, where people aren't even aware that they're not listening. So let me play you this clip where Russell is speaking to Ben. And, and you know that I'm a big Russell Brand fan. I've, I think he's, he's fantastic. Increasingly, I think that, that, that the tech experience has become so ubiquitous that it will that everyone will have to have some kind of conscious plan around tech or risk having your consciousness kind of blended, even if that's not in a sort of a literal Elon Musk Neuralink way, with kind of the incentives and imperatives of whoever is most dominant in that field. Is that something you feel? Uh, 100% also? agree. I totally agree with this. I mean, so much so that, you know, Twitter used to be on my phone. I removed Twitter from my phone because really for, for people in public life, Twitter is sort of an ego machine because it's not just that you're tweeting things out into the ether. You're always constantly checking your messaging, your, your incoming messages and, and how people are responding to you. And it creates a real sort of echo chamber of people who are talking about you all the time, which is the most unhealthy thing you can have, is you thinking you're the center of the universe. It's pretty much the worst thing as a human being that, that you can think. And so the, the internet tends to do that to you. Or alternatively, you felt frozen out of the center of the universe. And so you feel like you're on the periphery, which is bad in very, very different ways. Uh, and so kind of turning off and, and being with people is is a really important thing. And, and you find that, you know, I, I've, I've said to my wife before, I'll come home on a, on a given day and she'll say, how was your day? I'll say, well, I didn't trend on Twitter, so it was a good day. Uh, and I, I, increasingly, what I've found is that even though I do trend on Twitter probably once every three weeks or so, it can still be a good day as soon as I turn off Twitter. Because there is this real world out there where nobody who is around you is spending their day on Twitter following you. So you're thinking about yourself a lot, but nobody else really is. And recognizing that not everybody is thinking about you, I think, is the, the sign of a healthy mind. Yeah, I think he does bring up a good point. You know, all these tools, I think, are making everybody so self-absorbed and people are just constantly thinking about themselves. It causes them to turn inward, not for reflection, but it's, it's almost this sort of swing where, where the, the, the senses, the awareness is constantly, instead of going back and forth from me to 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 you, to somebody else. It's a constant myopic examination of only one thing, and that's you. And, and I think that goes back to my original story where I think it's easy to talk about yourself. I think people love to talk about themselves, but I think there's a lot of work that goes into turning everything off, rewiring the brain for a moment to think about somebody else.
And it's it's interesting. So I've I've mailed out my book to quite a quite a few people over the last uh, couple weeks who've purchased one. And and by the way, if you're one of them, I really really appreciate it. It it means a lot. It's terrifying to work on a book for close to four years and to finally have people reading it. Um, and it's my first book. Is it perfect? No, it's not. But I think I got to the place after a couple of years of working on it where I wanted to finish it just to, just to be done. But I also knew that when I was finished, I knew I would be a better writer. And I knew that whatever book I write next is ultimately going to be better than this one. It's just, it's this sort of circular creative process, growth process, where the only way you get better at something is, is just by doing it over and over again. And, and I think that leads me to what we're filling our free time with. What are we thinking about? Are we able to care about somebody else? Are we able to listen? Are we able to turn off the devices and show empathy, show curiosity, learn? A friend of mine that I saw yesterday, she's older. I dropped off my book. And she it's funny. We were talking for a little bit, and then she she had to take a break. She was like, I had to get, I have to get my phone. I have to check something. And she comes back and and she laughs. She says, God, it's it's so interesting. What did I used to do before my phone? Because I, I feel like I'm thinking about it all the time. And that's, you know, we talked about this. You know, we, I think we used to think about each other. I think we used to read. Of course, we watch television, we watch movies, but I, I do feel like there was a level of depth, curiosity, empathy, and care where people were showering each other with blandishments and, and had empathy and, and looked at the world with grace and, and, and empathy and warmth and curiosity. It's, it's sort of tech and social media has created this void in human nature. And so before I play this clip of Barry, you know, what are you doing in your free time? Do you see yourself, you know, lurching for the phone at any chance you get? When you're out to dinner with somebody, are you bored? Not because they're boring, but, be, but because your brain has been rewired in such a way where if you're not constantly stimulated, you feel this constant jonesing for, for stimulation, for the, for the buzzing, for, for just looking at something. Do you feel that, that urge when there's ever like a moment, a pause in your day-to-day day, and When there's a moment or pause in your day-to-day life, can you just do nothing. So which then leads to the bigger question that Barry asks her guest. And let me play this clip. And I, and I don't mean to be a bit dystopian here and a bit glass half empty, but let me play this for you. Josh, as a final question, it's a bit of an existential one. I, I want to know why it's so hard to get people to care about what we've been talking about for the past little while. Before I play the le- before before I play the rest of the clip, that's something that I have talked about a lot on my show. You know, with my music, the book that I put out, you know, it's not officially out yet, but you can buy a copy from me directly if you send me a DM on Instagram. I'll tell you how. But this book has actually given me a little bit more hope, and I don't know if people still 
revere or look up to authors, or they can recognize the trials and tribulations that go into writing a book more so than a song. Uh, Maybe people still appreciate reading or holding a book or still value people that, that can write books. Because before all of that, I did ask myself regularly, and I would ask you on the show, what does it take for people to care? What does it take to people? What does it take for people to give a, give a fuck about anything? As, as Cory Booker has said, you know, one of the biggest challenges he faces is getting people off the couch to care, getting people to have a desire about anything other than like Netflix or porn or video games or whatever they're addicted to. So let me, let me keep playing this for you. We're living in a moment where there is, first of all, limitless information about everything. So anyone who wants to find out about this can. But more broadly, we're living in a moment where everything feels like DEFCON 1. And I think about the past two weeks and the amount of time that I've spent reading about Joe Rogan and Spotify or talking about Joe Rogan and Spotify or a few weeks before this, the amount of time I spent thinking about Dave Chappelle's special on Netflix, reading about angry tweets about Dave Chappelle's special on Netflix. And I wonder what it will take to divert some tiny percentage of the rage and the passion that people seem to be bringing to bear on podcasts and comedians to an expansionist regime that is currently carrying out a genocide. Right. I mean, I hate to end with an I don't know, but I wish I could make sense of why there's so much suffering in the world and so many people don't seem to give a shit. And, uh, you know, I have my theories, right? One is, you know, sort of what you alluded to with the Joe Rogan thing, but I think that's more about our institutions, our corporations and our media and the incentives, right? When I I read a column for the Washington Post, I have to think about what's the audience? How big is that audience? You know, and then how much time am I spending and resources of the Washington Post to report out the story versus how much engagement is it going to get? I'm not immune to those pressures. Luckily, I think the Washington Post does a really good job of sort of balancing that with the editorial interest. And I'm evidence of that, in fact, because they also never, ever stop me from writing about one Syrian, or one Uyghur. So I'm very lucky, right, in the sense that I'm a columnist of the Washington Post and I can write about whatever I want and no one's ever told me what to write, what not to write. So I choose to write the things that I think are undercovered and uncared about and focus on human suffering and dignity and human rights and the things that I believe in. And I feel lucky to have that role. Uh, most most journalists don't have that. It's a game of seventh grade soccer. You know how it is, Barry. It's seventh grade soccer. Ball goes over here, everybody runs over there. Then the ball gets kicked <laughs> over there, everybody runs over there. And I guess I'll leave you with this. Beyond what does it take to get you to care about something outside of yourself, how is your awareness and empathy being affected by, you know, the major news corporations? Because as Barry's guest says, so much of what they're covering is based on, is it going to get them the most engagement? which means that the stories they share are going to be the most inflammatory. They're going to be pounding it over your head over and over and over again. Like if, if that's the world that we live in where the only news that cuts through is constantly 
lambasted at you over and over again. I mean, that's why I was so suspicious about the way the media covered the pandemic the first year and a half and two years. And now it's, you know, miraculously just sort of over, although the the damage is certainly not done to uh, citizen psyches as I traverse the world every day and and see the oddities still of, 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 of people. But is that the only way that news can cut through? If there's running tabulations, if, if there's scare tactics, if it's just pummeled over people's head over and over again. So beyond, are you able to think or care or listen to somebody else? How is your periphery? How is your mindset? How is your awareness about the world affected by what you consume? And be careful because, again, if you are posting on social media every day, nonstop, 15, 20 stories a day, how is that affecting your awareness towards the world? It's probably making you just think about only yourself. And again, I'm not naive here. This world is very similar to Darwin's survival for the fittest. Like, If you don't have the luxury to not think about putting food on the table, thinking about your kids, where you're going to get your next dollar, I fully can grasp and understand the dire nature in which you are living your life. You have no choice but to think of yourself. But if you have those moments where you're relaxed, you're out to dinner with your friends, Are you able to turn the conversation away from yourself and listen to somebody else? Are you traversing the world of the media beyond Fox and CNN and the New York Times? Are you reading other stories, other stories that share differing opinions? Or are you only just looking at the headlines? How much are you broadening your mental capacity. Because that's ultimately what's happening to our world, and I see it. There's a shrinkage. There's a cultural shrinkage happening. Now, I don't want this to sound you know, cryptic and, and conspiratorial, but do, does the news media, does social media want this dumbing down of society? Do they want people to think myopically to think one-dimensionally so that then they can sort of do whatever they want. Again, there's this very pernicious shift happening where critical thinking is dying, where people can't listen. And meanwhile, the news is just coming at us at this hypnotic, phantasmagoric pace where it's fast, it's blurry, we don't know what's true. How is that affecting you in your day-to-day life? So I'll leave you with that. Just very struck by the the onslaught, the fast-paced onslaught of information. And I'm also curious about if you're capable of listening and thinking about anybody else but yourself. You know where to find me on social media at Eddie Cohn. I've had some wonderful guests. I have a couple more guests lined up over the next couple weeks, so more podcasts coming your way. It's really helpful if you share the show with your friends or head over to iTunes and write a review. 
that would be amazing. If you want deets on how to get my new book before it comes out in May, send me a message on Instagram and I will give you the details on how to get my new book, SSAFY. I'll be talking a lot more about the book, what inspired the book. Um, But that is it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Again, head over to iTunes, write a review, share the show with your friends. Until next time, as always, thanks so much for listening, supporting, being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast.